Hello and welcome to Birth Trauma Training for Birth Workers. I'm your host, Dr. Erin Bow, clinical psychologist and coach, mother of two traumatic births myself. This podcast is all about helping the helpers and supporting and training birth workers to feel connected and confident to navigate birth trauma. Advocacy and activism starts with conversations. My legacy is not going to be one of sitting around and saying, oh, well, that's just the way birth is. We can't change the system. Let's raise our voices while raising our vibrations. Trauma work isn't all dark and shadow. We can find light in without making light off. I want you to find growth, passion and purpose. Go back to the love, the joy, humanity that brought you to birth work in the first place. This podcast is also available in video format where guests have said, yes, let me be visible. Head on over to my YouTube channel, which is Dr. Erin Baum. Now, before we start, if you've been enjoying this podcast and you're listening on iTunes, can you hit pause for a second and leave me a review? I want these stories and support and messages of hope and growth to reach as many people who are interested in birth as I possibly can. Now, to do this, I need reviews. Reviews help the algorithm and they show the podcast to more people. There is no money in this for me. This podcast is just a small part of me being the change I want to see. It's also an excuse for me to shift out of mum life for, you know, an hour or so and have meaningful conversations with other grown-ups who are not quite as invested in fart jokes and Paw Patrol. I love stories. This is why I do what I do. This is why I do this podcast. Sharing stories can be such soul medicine. I really do believe that as healers and helpers, we cannot walk this path alone. We need support, a sounding board, and a circle, either a physical one or a metaphorical one for storytelling. Welcome, season two. So a year ago when I started this podcast, it was an experiment really to see if there would be enough interest. It's obviously super niche and I'm never going to get like in the top rankings for podcasts ever. But, you know, I've been so humbled by those of you who've left reviews, sent me DMs, asked me questions, asked to be guests. It's been great building this community and doing what I can to give back is super, super important to me. So thank you for that. And here we go with season two. It will look a little bit different this year. Last year when I started asking people if they wanted to be guests, I was kind of surprised (laughs) by how many people said yes. I was kind of expecting like, all right, I'll send off a few requests and maybe I'll get like one or two yeses and pretty much everybody said yes. So that was um, delightful and wonderful, but also a little overwhelming. And I think I ended up probably spending mm, more time on the podcast than I would have liked. So, you know, the way around that this year, I think, is to just record things a bit less frequently. So you will still get this podcast, of course. It might just be that it's more like once a month rather than kind of like I was doing one a week at one point last um, December. I wanted to clear the backlog so I could start this year fresh. And I ended up doing um, one episode every week in December, which was not sustainable. (laughs) I knew it wouldn't be. But um, yeah, so it'll be a little bit different this year. Um, as always, if you've got people that you want, you know, requested, let me know. Topics you want, let me know. Because otherwise it's just me talking into a microphone in a room by myself or potentially talking to a guest if I've got one. So I have some ideas, but, you know, part of this, um, well, two things I want to do today. One is to do a wrap up of that first season, first season. And it's been fascinating seeing which episodes were the most popular and the most downloaded because that helps me plan future episodes. And I think this will be a useful episode if you're new to the podcast or you're looking for just a snapshot. The other thing I want to do is introduce you to my new podcast. I'm not quite sure I'm going to host it yet. That's coming. The episode's been recorded. But as most of you know, outside of birth trauma work, um, I also do coaching and some therapy it's more like a coaching therapy hybrid (laughs) I guess I don't really know what to call it yet 
but it's with helpers, healers, people who struggle with burnout, um, struggle to get self-care to work for them, people who are feeling stuck and not having any fun. And in that kind of bubble that I've been in before where you're just like constantly seeking relief instead of finding joy. So that's another one of my passions. And the method I use um, with my coaching, I've called the burn bright without burning out method. And it helps women, you know, who are helpers and healers, anyone who's doing any sort of you know, looking after someone else in the capacity of it might be that you're a mum, it might be that you're in healthcare, whatever it might be, to navigate some of that stuff, to look at the imposter fears and the mum rage and the guilt and the shame cycle that goes with being someone who teaches other people how to do wellness when you're struggling with it yourself. Like, it's absolutely a thing and it's becoming a story that I hear so often And it was my story, like for ages. So I think when you kind of find your way through something, you get this, I wonder if you're similar, you just feel like you want to tell everybody you know (laughs) about how to do it because you can see other people where you were six to 12 months ago and you really, really just want to help them through it. So that podcast is going to be just me, 15 to 20 minutes of me answering questions so I super 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 encourage you to send me a question that if you want me to answer on the podcast um send me an email send me an Instagram message something like that send me a probably not a homing pigeon but you get the idea (laughs) it'll be 15 to 20 minutes of me yeah answering questions giving you some strategies giving you some tools just to manage all that kind of stuff so it's Similar to what I've done here before, but outside of the birth trauma space. So outside of the niche and a little bit more general, just so I can reach more people. Because um, not everybody who needs or would like the particular medicine that I have on my heart is going to even look for birth trauma or a birth trauma training podcast. So that's the plan. And it's to fill a space. I'm going to try and do it weekly it will be short it'll be probably just recorded in my car in that 15 to 20 minutes that I've got before I go and pick up my kids so that's the plan that's the hope look out for that one it'll be called burn bright without burning out so look for that one all right let's go back to the list the top 10 list of episodes for last year now this has actually kept changing (laughs) even in the week or so since I started preparing for this episode. I'd write down the numbers and then they'd change and then the order would change. So I've had to just call it and say today, what is it? February 3rd. This is, this is as it stands, the most downloaded episodes and most popular episodes as voted by you, the listeners, rather than me having to choose, which is good because it would be like having to choose my favorite child. I just couldn't do it. So I want to give you a little rundown of the episode, what it was about, how I felt about it, any particular backstory about it. And yeah, let's go. So episode 10, episode 10, well, not episode 10, number 10. So episode 27 is in the 10th position. That's fine. This was with Lotus Fire, complex childhood trauma. Um, I know another mother. I think that episode was called. It's not in front of me at the moment. This one I'm glad was here because this one was hmm, personally a bit challenging for me. Not so much because of the content or anything Lotus was talking about, but at the time that her interview came, I was really sitting with, have I got the energy to keep doing this work? So for some of you, you may know, my PhD was in borderline personality disorder and self-harm. And for a long time in my life, that's probably what I thought I was going to do. That's I'd move into being an expert in that. Um, And why I didn't particularly go down that path, something that's always been interesting to me is that everybody's got trauma, of course. And I think like me thinking, oh, every time I've, every time I've done this, I've gone, oh, I don't know, maybe I don't want to do trauma work anymore. Like maybe like. I think the story I've had sometimes, which has been true, but at the moment it's it's a story, <laughs> it's not true, is that you need like endless energy or endless like self-compassion or endless something in order to be able to do that work. And I think for me, the time when I had Lotus's episode coming up, 
it was mm, made me feel a bit, oh, I don't know if I want to do this because it was kind of facing me to look at, well, okay, am I going to keep doing this trauma work or am I not? And yet it's made me laugh so much because everything is trauma, like everything, everybody's got trauma. So in some ways there is no avoiding it. And I really do think this is like part of what I'm here to do. I'm a big container <laughs> and I can hold a lot. And sometimes I forget that I can actually hold a lot and that it's, um, you know, you just put in good principles and practices for when you do this work. But I guess the point I want to get to after I get to, well, maybe before I get to talking about Lotus's episode and what it was about, was in realizing like how much fun it can be to do trauma work, which might sound like a strange thing to say. But, you know, sometimes in the wellness kind of world where trauma is popular, People talk about the work, oh, and the work, and it's so heavy, and it's so, like, it's all complex, and and it is all of that, and it is hard. But then someone like Lotus comes along and reminds you that actually it can be really fun, and it can be really playful, and there's joy to be found, there's even humour, and that's not, you know, often expressed enough. And I think back to, you know, like comedians like Mel Brooks, who used to make jokes about Nazis and like some people just couldn't cope with that. And that's okay. That's their reaction. It's not good or bad. It just is. But it makes me think of like, oh yeah, when you get to that place where you're like, okay, I'm not in my victim story. I'm taking power over this and I'm going to cope with this the way I want to cope with. So yeah, whether that is going back to doing some of that inner child work, which is just play, having lots and lots and lots of play and laughter and fun and being silly, which doesn't negate doing all the really hard trauma work. But it just, yeah, speaking again to Lotus, like it reignited something in me. <laughs> I don't know if she knows that. She might now. That made me go, yeah, actually, there is a different way to do this because I'd kind of built this up in my head of like, oh, I don't know. I don't know if I get enough sleep. You know, it's that I'm not enough stuff. I'm not enough to hold someone else's drama. I'm not enough to do this. And it's like, of course I am. I always have been, always will be. And it's not like I'm going back to doing what I used to do pre-kids, was, which was sometimes see like nine clients a day in a row, which is another story. <laughs> a whole story in of itself. But that was super inspiring to me because it could have been, and in lots of ways it is probably still a heavy episode. Um, you know, so Lotus was speaking about her experiences with complex childhood trauma sexual trauma what it's like when you are trying to navigate school and have the outside world think that everything in your life is going okay and yet how can they not realize that everything's not okay and when you have um sexual trauma i suppose from someone who is still your support system and what that's like and how sometimes in society we have these ideas that okay you cut people out of your life and in sometimes, yep, that's absolutely valid and necessary, but we don't often ask kids what they want and we don't look at how to, how to do this. And it's a, a thing I've navigated a few times with families where one family member has perpetrated a sexual offence or sexual behaviour, whatever you want to call it, against another family member and then the separating of that family member from everybody else in some ways has been even more traumatic than the trauma in and of itself, if that makes sense, um, because it's, this is still your support person. And sometimes for the people around that, siblings and other people who don't know that version of that person, they've never seen it, it's like a split for your brain to go, I don't understand. I understand this person in this version and not that version. And how do I hold, this is like, I think one of the most amazing synchronicities that comes from my work with borderline personality disorder which is the ability to hold two conflicting states at once yes let's say for example your parent might be a sex offender but you can also love them and see them as your parent it's really really complex but I'm super glad that people were interested enough in those concepts to take a listen to this episode um because yeah, I think Lotus talked beautifully just about all the different types of work that she's done navigating pregnancy and birth when you've had these experiences in childhood and in lots of ways haven't had a childhood 
and how now she's showing up for herself and showing up for her son and just showing up for everybody really this is how it can be done and it's light and it's full of laughter and humor and yeah it's just beautiful so I think for people wanting to see a different way of thinking about complex childhood trauma this this is the episode to listen to because yeah I think there's something for everybody to learn in that one number nine so another difficult one that sometimes is not a popular topic to talk about but geez it was a popular one downloaded and this actually was the most viewed one on my youtube channel so i've been putting some of the podcast episodes up in video format although i've gotten lax at that because i've just had to prioritize editing and doing other things um they're they're, you know still in the vault they're coming but it hasn't been something i've prioritized so episode 24 with Kristen Hill, where she talked about her experiences with obstetric fistula. And remembering, Kristen's a white lady living in Seattle who birthed in a hospital. And the interesting, interesting discussions, I think, that sometimes go on about obstetric obstetric fistula as being sometimes, you know, like something that you maybe only read about in your midwifery textbook or something that is associated with only happening to, let's say, underprivileged young women in developing countries. So I'm super glad that this got some attention because I think there's a real need for it. And understanding broadly that trauma is physical trauma, but also emotional trauma. And Kristen spoke about, you know, what it's like when you're so isolated and up in your head being a new mum anyway and then you add like all the bodily isolating things that go with that because when you've experienced a tear and you have incontinence and you have leaking and you have unexplained pain and you have you know a hole in your body where there shouldn't be one navigating your day to say oh like yep you know hi how's your day going yeah cool leaking fecal matter from my asshole as yours that's not conversations that happen like typically and so there's a lot of shame and frustration and anger that you know this is not a, a normalized conversation that people are having and how that affects the other side of trauma which you know as Kristen spoke about when You've had this injury and you have a care provider who's not willing to speak to you as an equal, who's not willing to even entertain the idea that maybe they did something to cause it and instead, you know, does gaslighting and puts blame and everything else back on the person Um, and what it was like for Kristen being told, oh, it probably wouldn't have been from the birth, it's probably something like you did after, which just... I remember feel the feeling that that landed in my own body when she said that. And it's things I've heard before, but also just the like the dialogue around speaking to birthing people as if they're fucking idiots. Like how and I remember saying to her at the time, like, how? How just you going about your day do you do you put a hole like in your body? Like it's just mind blowing to me. Uh, yeah. So obviously this was a conversation that lots of people wanted to have and, you know, Kristen stuck her hand up and said, yeah, I actually want to talk about it and I want to talk about how we move from, you know, this idea that we're broken and forever bothered and forever scarred to, nope, you can find strength in this, you can find purpose and passion and she also spoke about navigating a second pregnancy and making informed choices for herself for her birth the next time and how for me as well a lot of these conversations about like there's no right way to birth there's no here's the perfect thing to do and some of that conversation needs to be about acknowledging that for someone their perfect birth well not their perfect birth but you know what I mean is going to be planning a Caesar and you know the all natural or nothing approach I definitely understand where it comes from and I definitely understand the intent, but I think I'm also a big fan of looking at the intent that you have 
versus the results that you're getting. And for some people, particularly people who've had a massive tear um, or even who haven't, making an informed, empowered decision that a C-section is best for you is amazing because sticking the no, you must just do natural like this is going to be the best thing for you. Sometimes it's not the best thing for you. So I think a discussion about trauma-informed care has to include all options and making the birthing person the expert and letting them, even though I don't like that word, letting them, giving them the space to choose what option is going to be best for them and not silencing them. So super powerful, that one. Number eight, episode 31, privilege in birth work with Sabia Wade, who's a doula. This was the last episode I released in December last year. Yeah, so that's kind of cool that that's crept up on the list already. Sabia and I spoke, we spoke about a few different things, but I guess really going back to the maternal mortality statistics and being an anti-racist versus a non-racist, activism, advocacy, And coming back to the idea that really it's people in a position of power and privilege who need to be the change makers. Um, Because as she said, words to the effect, and I'll be paraphrasing, it's the black folks who've been talking about this for a long time and nothing's changing, nothing's happening. We all need to collectively come together. And if you decide that you're an anti-racist, and that you don't agree with those maternal mortality statistics, then do something about it. And yeah, something that happens every single time I post about black maternal and infant mortality is I'll get unfollows. And I often get (laughs) messages from people, white people, white people in a position of privilege, I assume. It is an assumption. But saying to me, oh, well, you know, it's really not that bad, is it? And don't you think like you're fear-mongering by talking about this stuff and this doesn't really happen in Australia and you might be being hyperbolic about this and all those other kind of, you know, silencing things. And I just think, mm-hmm, yeah. In the time it took you to write me that message, you could have done a Google search. You could have signed a petition. You could have written a letter. You could have gone and looked at an account by someone who knows a lot more about this even than I do and I really don't know a lot but I'm always happy to have the conversations and be asking like what can we do what can we do more of what could we do less of like inviting the conversation so think about that and I think really if you're in the position of taking time to um let me know that my conversations are making you feel uncomfortable. To that I say, good, I'm glad. We need to be uncomfortable. There is a lot to be learnt in discomfort. Um, And I'm not going to sit by and just be like, oh, well, then I'll shut up about this stuff. You know, birthing people keep dying. And I really wonder if you were faced with some of the family members of these women who've died recently even would you be saying the same thing like go and look for Charles Johnson and the work that he's doing on behalf of his deceased wife Kira would you say that to him that it's not that big a deal that these boys lost their mum and you know all the other rhetoric that goes on just you know have a think about that get out of your bubble (laughs) the thing I always like to say to people get out of your bubble so super glad to see that one on the list number seven episode 20 with Catherine Eden hope is a doing word which comes from well Catherine got it from Jane Hardwick Collings Jane Hardwick Collings got it from um, Florence Florence and the machine and I use it all the time because it's so potent I think is the word um, I want to use so this was part of the midwives rising kind of podcast within a podcast that I did last year where I spoke to a bunch of different midwives about the action versus inaction stuff that needs to happen. And so Catherine and I had some really amazing chats about all sorts of different things. But the things that I remember most, hmm, the most comments and the most useful usefulness, that's not a word, <laughs> that I got out of that, was talking, I think, about 
kind of collective sister wounds and the bullying that goes on in midwifery and the one-upmanship and all that kind of stuff that's really just coming from a collective wound, an ancestral wound, which I'm kind of obsessed with at the moment, where, you know, women have been, hmm, how shall I say, historically, I guess, put into positions where they're encouraged to fight with each other instead of rise up against the system and complain about the system and take on people in the position of power who are doing the hurting. It's like classic warfare kind of stuff. So when you see this playing out in like, I suppose, the modern world of, you know, midwives dobbing each other in for not having done anything wrong, midwives just being nasty and cruel to each other, it's classic warfare. And it comes from that you know, generations and generations and generations of women thinking like, I'm going to get burnt. I'm going to get drowned here. This is, you know, hanging out with other women is not a safe space for me to be in and how we need to globally shift, shift all of that. Like the amazing things that can happen when women don't see each other as competition and don't respond to, I suppose, projections isn't the word I want but childhood trauma stuff you know any of us who've been bullied in high school who've had not wonderful interactions with groups of other women and surprisingly it might be surprising to you it's been most of us even if you're someone who has a good group of friends even if you're someone who says yep like women's spaces are very comfortable for me a lot of us have got collective stuff and some of that stuff's like not even our own. It's the old witch wound being handed down. So we had really good chats about that. Um, and also just talking about, you know, how we've both worked with high school girls and the parallels that sometimes you see with the, yeah, the venting and the, the keeping, oh, how, how would you describe it? I want to almost say like keeping people in their place. So like keeping people small in keeping them stuck in their victim story, in keeping them miserable, because that keeps you comfortable. And all of us, I think, will have someone like that in our life. And I wonder as I'm speaking about it now, does your mind go to someone? Maybe it's in your family, maybe it's in your friendship group. The person who actually seems to thrive when you're not doing so well and wants you to complain and wants you to vent and wants to do the pity and the poor you and actually never pulls you up and only sees you in your most whole, beautiful, perfect self. They want to keep you suffering because that's comfortable for them because that means that they get to feel like they're outshining you, feel like they're winning, feel like they also get to stay stuck in their own victim story because I can't imagine how life would be if they weren't complaining. So let that let that land and think about that because I think there's some real power in that. Episode 19. So what are we up to? Number six. This was with Krista Dancy. So Krista is a clinical psychologist like me in the US, in California, and she's also a doula. So she's a unicorn, <laughs> basically. And um, I got Krista on because she is someone who is, like, again, so well-versed in trauma and treatment for trauma, but also really understands birth and has attended births and has actually done her own work with her own stuff. She's just, like, amazeballs, <laughs> as the kids say. Not my kids, but, you know, I say kids is in like, you know, what kids say. I don't know where I'm going with that, but she's amazeball. So EMDR stands for Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing. So it came out of the 80s with Francine Shapiro was her name. She actually passed away not long after I released this episode, I believe. Yeah. And it's a technique. It's... um endorsed by the World Health Organization. And so it uses 
a series of bilateral movements. The typical one is um, eyes moving back and forward, although sometimes it can be with sounds like so clickers, lights, that kind of thing. And we don't quite know how it works, but we know that when you get people to focus on a particular aspect of their trauma and you help them through this bilateral stimulation, it tends to make the waves of trauma smaller. So it's one of these amazing um procedures i'm not trained in it and i don't offer it um but we were talking about how this is potentially quicker than talk therapy or it can also be a really good start before you do talk therapy because talking about the trauma is actually really quite difficult and i think i'm a big believer in even if you start talk therapy you need skills to be able to regulate your own nervous system first and sort of handle the um, sometimes the analogy I use is like the brake in the accelerator. So like having a trauma sometimes is like you haven't really been taught to drive a car properly. You only know how to press the accelerator and then like your only way to stop it, to stop the vehicle moving is to crash. So that might, you know, if you've ever, I don't know, gotten on a billy cart or down a hill or like learned to ride a bike or something and you haven't learned to use the brakes yet. So part of, I think, um, any good therapeutic practice is teaching people to put on the brakes so it's like okay bring the uncomfortable sensations in now let your nervous system settle and so you're switching back between parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous system Um, because when you're in active trauma it's just it's like this perpetual state of panic where you're constantly on the accelerator and you just can't navigate your way through it so then talking about the trauma and that's all you're doing, if, that's, if that's all you're doing is talking about the trauma without learning to regulate those sensations and memories and feelings in your body, it's bloody exhausting. And, um, you know, the dropout rate can be very, very high because it's, it's really, really, really tiring. So EMDR was one, um, yeah, it was one of the treatment approaches that I talked about on the podcast. And I talked about a few, not all of them. I might talk about some more um, this season. But it's interesting to know that people found that interesting. So, um, yeah, as I said, the World Health Organization recommends cognitive behavior therapy or EMD, EMDR. There's not a lot of research um, around birth and birth trauma specifically. It's coming. Research takes a really, really, really long time to get up to date, particularly with birth and birth trauma. But that's something, um, yeah, definitely something to consider. It just means if you're thinking like in terms of, well, how do I get it for myself or how do I help a client get it? It's slightly less accessible because it's not a standard part of training. So, I mean, yeah, um, both Krista and I are clinical psychologists in different countries and it wouldn't have been, I don't think it's a standard part of any psychology training. It would be an extra thing that you have to do on top of that. And so that means finding a provider might be a bit tricky um extra associated cost with that it's in australia definitely not medicare supported insurance maybe yeah so there's definitely pros but there's also some cons around the i suppose accessibility and cost and also it is intense so it is a much more intense version of trauma therapy potentially than some of the others so we were also just talking about how you'd want to be set up well and well supported as in you've got those maslow hierarchy of needs attended to first and you've got appropriate childcare, um and you're not like trying to go and do a session of emdr and then like go back to work like after your lunch break it needs to be set up really well um but this was like an amazing conversation and i think um it definitely came through how passionate krista is about this and so i am so happy that she talked to me about it and we're still in communication she's got a couple of um birth trauma groups like she just she just doesn't stop (laughs) this woman she's always doing stuff to pioneer for trauma and birth trauma so go and look her up she's doing amazing things if you haven't looked her up already krista dancy now we're up to number five episode two what is vicarious trauma so this was me taking you through what is vicarious trauma? So I'm glad that was a popular one for most people because understanding that trauma is not just in what happens to someone else, it's what happens in your body when you witness or hear about something 
happening to someone else because um, I think the best way to explain it that I've often used is this understanding that for me, like I would rather take a bullet than watch my child be shot, right? So I think it's an extreme example and I give an extreme example because people say this phrase all the time. Uh, but it wasn't happening to me. I wasn't the one who went through it. So I shouldn't feel that bad. Don't have a right to complain. Mm -hmm. But wouldn't, in some cases, watching it happen to someone else, like if you watched your child be hurt rather than you be hurt, that would be worse. Your outcomes would be worse. I know potentially it would be for me. So the brain, like mirror imaging, mirror neurons, watching and modeling someone else's pain. I think if you're an open, empathic, intuitive person and you haven't quite learned, or even if you have learned, it, like, you know, there's no perfect response in this, taking on other people's pain is a thing that happens, like, quite easily. You think about, um, you know, midwives and those experiences where they've talked about having phantom pregnancy pains because they're around pregnant women all the time we can easily take on the emotional experiences of someone else by watching it or hearing about it and so vicarious trauma is meaning that which happens in your body even though it wasn't directly happening to you and it's super 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 important that people are aware of it because it's a real thing that happens paramedics police force anyone who is you know witnessing horrific things it can really really take its toll um, and in particular work um, environments like when you're constantly seeing dead bodies you're constantly seeing tragedy that can really without support um, it can sometimes just be that one next thing that just you know broke the camel's back so to speak and suicide rates for people in those first responder roles are often quite high. So we really do need more acknowledgement and more support for the people witnessing. Witnessing, holding witness to other people's trauma in the birth space is no different to that. So if you want to understand more about vicarious trauma and why that's important for you as a birth worker, definitely go and give that episode a listen. Okay, number four. So... Episode 26, When Survivors Navigate the Hospital System with Rachel Rose. Mm, another one about trauma in the capacity of sexual trauma. And that can be really, really, really broad. Like sexual trauma can mean an inappropriate look. It can mean a comment. I think for, I wish I had those stats in front of me, I don't, but... The statistics around by what age, and it's quite early, girls in particular, people identifying as girls, have a memory of someone behaving towards them in a way that was inappropriate, made them feel scared, made them feel uncomfortable, is super, super, super common. So conversations around how do we navigate birth, how do we navigate trauma, how do we navigate systems for survivors is super, super, super important. Um, and a huge part of the work that I have tried to do to keep, um, I guess, hmm, keep awareness up is that we can't keep putting all the onus on people to tell us what we think they need. Like, it's almost as if you, you'd be wise to operate as if, as if as if someone has had a sexual trauma. Like, I'm not saying don't ask them, but I'm saying, like, birth is one of those spaces where you are so, so vulnerable. Your subconscious is wide, wide open. Your body's wide open. Like, you are such a candidate for just anything disrupting that ecosystem really, and we can't expect people to know what's going to disrupt their ecosystem, so to speak. There are things that we can definitely do to help, and that comes back to 
the language that you use and it not being about, um, I was talking to someone just this morning about this, it's not about choosing the perfect language and following a script. It's just about asking. Just as you would check, how do you pronounce this name if you're not sure? Or even if you are sure, not assuming, you know. Sarah can be Sarah, spelled different ways. Just checking in. What pronouns do you use? Is there a particular way that you would like me to refer to your partner or your birth support person or anyone else in your space? Not making assumptions. Um, asking, you know, are there any words that might or phrases that might be particularly sensitive to you that you don't want to hear um, or that I could rephrase that would make you more comfortable? And some of this is the medical stuff, like words that you might have used thousands and thousands of times that now carry no emotional weight and are quite neutral could be quite distressing to someone else but also can go as broad as you know using pet names for people and again I'm not saying don't use pet names for people but I'm just saying have an awareness again of intent versus results your intent at calling someone sweetheart to make them feel comfortable and loved up in a nice bubble might actually have the result of them remembering their childhood trauma where a perpetrator called them sweetheart. It's not to freak you out. This is not about freaking people out and going, oh my God, I can't say anything. Not about that at all. It's just about asking and inviting the invitation to say, if I get something wrong, like, please tell me. Like, simple as that. So language is a huge part of that. So Rachel and I were speaking about how it was for her navigating pregnancy and navigating birth and the hospital system where continuity of care is not always amazing it's a different care provider each time um, if you're in the public hospital system in Australia sometimes elsewhere like it just yeah it depends on the system but how that was for her you know invasive procedures how she coped with them um, all the intrusive thoughts that came up for her around that time and we talked about how like normalizing intrusive thoughts so for example um I remember something that she spoke about that would have been difficult I mean the whole thing was difficult to talk about but one I think that was particularly important to talk about and something I'm a big fan of talking about is what you might describe as like mm, we can call them intrusive thoughts. You can also call them ego dystonic thoughts. So Freud, for all his <laughs> weird and wonderful stuff, was one thing that was actually kind of useful out of um, his work. We have ego syntonic thoughts and ego dystonic thoughts. So an ego syntonic thought is usually a neutral thought. I'm going to eat a sandwich. I need the toilet. I should check the time. Like that kind of boring stuff. Ego dystonic thoughts are ones that our ego finds really distressing and uncomfortable. And they're those thoughts that we all have that we would rather not share with anyone else, like ever, <laughs> because we think, oh, that's really weird. And the more we give it attention and go, oh, that's really weird. What does it mean? The more we're likely to have those thoughts. Um, so a lot of, of particularly postpartum, like sleep deprivation and everything else adds to this. But it's things like, oh God, what if I accidentally just push my baby's pram into the train? Um, what if I'm using nail clippers and I accidentally just like cut their toe off? Like things like that. Things that are like distressing you think, oh my God, why am I thinking this? What if anyone knew? And so Rachel talked about her experience of having those thoughts and then, you know, we're normalizing them so that people can understand there's a lot that goes on in the minds of a pregnant and postpartum person that don't get expressed because often people have this fear like, if I tell someone this, what's going to happen? Is my child going to be taken away? Does that mean I'm crazy? So I think a huge part of this was um, twofold. One, it was discussion about how do survivors navigate a system and how do we make it easier and more welcoming for them, but also normalizing a lot of things that are part of uh, when your nervous system is in fight or flight and it's hard to relax when you've got a new baby what like what people can be looking for to go oh actually yeah that's the thing that happens and it doesn't mean that you're weird or crazy or strange or that your baby's going to be taken away and when we air these things and we give them a voice and we give them the right sort of attention so I always just imagine someone somewhere else is having a sigh and going oh 
oh, okay, <laughs> that's normal. I don't love that phrase, normal, but I think you know what I mean. So um, that was a super, super, super popular episode, and I'm glad that it was because it was obviously useful. Number three, oh, episode one. So that was all about my own lived experience of birth trauma. And that's a good place to start because then you kind of, you know, understand, I guess, like the why. Why am I doing this? Where does it come from? Um, and I think um, how I've navigated that. So I think a big fan, <laughs> I'm a big fan of when you get to a certain place in your growth, in your journey, whatever the phrase is you want to use, it's so important to, yes, look back to where you were. And sometimes we get stuck in the like, oh, I'm stuck. I'm not making any progress. Nothing's changed. And I definitely still have days like that where I'm like, I'm back where I started. I haven't made any progress, blah, blah, blah. Not so much necessary with birth trauma, but for other things in my life, even though they're, they're all connected. Um, but something I think is really useful and really important is when you get to that place, to look for people who are some version of you six months ago, 12 months ago, two years ago, whatever it might be, and go and help them. And in that, I don't mean rescuing, I don't mean fixing, but I mean doing the acknowledgement of, ah, yep, I get it. I've been where you are. Our stories are different, our babies are different, our lives are different, our experiences are different. But if there's anything I can do to support you, that might just mean when you're scrolling through Instagram and you see someone who was who or who is where you were of going, I've I've been there. You're gonna get through this. You're not alone. You're gonna be okay. The power of doing that could change somebody's life. And I think um if you this is a lesson I'm still in, by the way. But <laughs> like if you let your ego stuff aside and they're like oh what are they gonna think particularly for someone like me and so something I have been learning through I guess being taught how to be a coach as opposed to be a therapist even though I'm both is that my coach is always telling me like getting out of the ego stuff of if you don't like share what's on your heart and you don't share the special medicine that you have how the hell are other people going to find you you know in my training in psych it was like you do your training and if you're good enough people will find you Hang your shingle on the door and let the people come to you. You don't ever go to the people. And so something I do now, which is in complete contrast with that, is I go to the people. If I'm scrolling social media and I see someone struggling with something and I've got a minute, I will send them a message and say, I just wanted you to know, I see you, you're not alone. If you ever need support, I'm here. And I don't mean in a limitless, like never-ending support situation, but how I think with birth trauma in itself, and lots of you will know, not a lot of people are necessarily Googling birth trauma. They're Googling like, can't stop thinking about my birth, feel shitty about my birth, feeling stuck, feeling, you know, whatever it is they're feeling. And so just someone showing up in your space to say, hey, I'm here, just that in and of itself can be so helpful because when you're in that phase of thinking, I'm never going to get through this. I'm never going to get out of this. I'm broken. I'm always going to be this way. Having someone show you a different version and show you that something else is possible can be absolutely life-changing. So that's, you know, always been at the forefront of my work, I suppose. Um, and that it's, you know, it's important to... It's important to show up for yourself and acknowledge yourself and acknowledge how far you've come. And part of doing that is helping someone else to see where they could get to. Again, without fixing it, without, you know, jumping in and trying to solve everything for them, but just saying, like, I'm here. Okay? I'm, you know, that's an option. <laughs> um, and for me, with a lot of my work, it's like having to show up in other people's spaces because I can't expect them to come to mine. People, as part of the reason I moved into coaching is because people are not Googling clinical psychologists to work with necessarily. Um, and I think with a lot of birth stuff in particular, there is a comfort in knowing that the person you're speaking to actually does get what you're talking about, which is not to say that you need to have birthed 
or you need to have had trauma in order to do this work. But I think for a lot of people, it provides an authenticity and a safety for them to know, okay, do you get me? Because we all want someone who's going to get us. And a lot of us have been on the receiving end of a health practitioner or someone who really doesn't get us like, <laughs> and how disempowering that can be and how for a lot of people that can be they're like, well, I ain't going back to therapy ever again. Like that was just too soul crushing. So I think, um, yeah, sharing your story and sharing not just the collective let's get stuck in victimhood and just complain and moan about it. There's definitely places for that and I'm a big fan of it. But the what then? The finding of the growth, the finding the strength in building each other up instead of just circling around the same old, same old. It's very important to me. So, right, we've got two episodes left. Oh, we're nearly finished. Episode two. No, number two. Episode 22. Oh, persecution fears with Jane Hardwick Collings. I was so excited when she said yes. So, so, so excited because I know a lot of you listening are like me and just like when Jane opens her mouth to speak, you just hang on every word. She could be like reading the back of a toilet roll and I would show up and listen to what she had to say because I think she's just so wise. And I mean, talk about that, what I just said about, you know, um, figuring out the way forward. What's that Chinese proverb? The... Yeah, trying to find the way forward is by asking those coming back. Mm. She's a wise woman. Oh my gosh, she's a wise woman. So Jane spoke in a way that I would like to get to. I'm not there yet in terms of like, fuck, this is how it is. Just do the thing and stop worrying so much about what other people fucking think of you. Burn the system kind of stuff. I'm not there yet. I'd like to get there. And I think that's to always level up and to grow and to challenge yourself, you, you need to surround yourself with people who are further along than you are, who have a version of reality that exists that, yeah, you're not quite there yet. You need to be always like looking up to the next thing. And so I got a lot of messages about this one, which was good and that it really, really resonated. This stuff about persecution fears and patriarchy and how a lot of what's happening in our birth trauma you know, sphere is a response to witch wounds, ancestral wounds, the fear that we're going to be burned and drowned for speaking up, the fear that, you know, we can't do and say what needs to be done and said and that it needs to happen quicker than what we're ready for because our own egos get in the way, mine included, and we get a bit like, oh, I don't know if I can say that. Oh, I don't know. People aren't going to like me because, you know, my goal in life, sooner rather than later, but we'll see how we go, is to be one of those older women who you can just tell gives no fucks, like really just lives her life the way she wants to live and doesn't give a shit. And I feel like I haven't had enough life experience of seeing the social proof <laughs> that that is a thing, but I'm getting there. I'm getting there. So she's a, I know it sounds like so um, fangirly to say like she's an inspiration, but she really is. Um, so if, if for some reason you haven't listened to that episode with Jane, I really urge you to go and listen to that one. Like she, oh, She's a wise, wise woman. She tells it like it is. And um, the investment that she has made into her own legacy for women of all ages, like her body of work and what she continues to offer up in the world is there's just been so much time and thought and energy and passion and love that has gone into it. And I think I really... For so many of my guests, but I think, yeah, for Jane, I really want to take a moment to acknowledge just how much of her life and time and energy she has invested into this work, into the work that is empowering women. It's truly, truly amazing. So thanks, Jane, for saying yes. Okay, number one. 
I wonder, have you been waiting for this one and were guessing it would be number one? I knew the minute I interviewed this person it would probably be number one because she has that effect on people. <laughs> so episode five, excavating your trauma to alchemize your soul passion with Angela Gallo, who has since um, gone under a rebrand and she now calls herself Angel Phoenix Arsenal. Whew. So... Any excuse to talk to my doula again, I will find it. <laughs> I'll find any excuse to stay in her world. She's not even a doula anymore. Um, she's an identity deaf doula and is doing, gosh, so much amazing, so much amazing things in, I don't even know, like, yeah, talk about alchemizing and soul passion and all sorts of things. Like, she's a, you can't even, like, you try and grasp like physically, mentally, spiritually, what Angel's doing. And it's just like, just when you think, well, just when I think I've got it and I can kind of like explain it, she pivots again. <laughs> so she's forever a chameleon. Um, and I know a lot of you resonated with this episode because oh, she she's a hypnotic creature, isn't she? Um. Yeah, I think the way that she hmm, encourages people to show up for themselves through the actions and the behaviours and the embodiment of showing up for herself is, yeah, if you want mirror neurons to fire, that would be, that would be someone to watch. So this is kind of where... Hmm, the wonderful thing about talking to Angel is like we both are quite, um, I suppose, yeah, talk in different dimensions. So I will use like a visual metaphor and then there could be like an 80s like pop reference and then like, yeah, all for the references and the metaphors. And so the two of us just like talk in analogies and metaphors and like like there's another dimension that you can't see and then you just get to trail the breadcrumbs back um so that's kind of funny but I was thinking about this one because this is where like the analogy that I've used about self-care and like micro self-care proper proper good trauma self-care is you know like diving into your bathtub of your own diarrhea and then she just added to it <laughs> like it was amazing there were some really truly awesome metaphors used in that episode in terms of coming back to the theme of if you're not going to show up for yourself and do your own work and look at your unpleasant, uncomfortable, ugly, 3am secret shame, secret stuff. How can you possibly do that for someone else? How can you be that strong container for someone else at such a pivotal time in their life if you're not going to do it for yourself and not making the mistake of thinking that you can hide it through whatever kind of, you know, things you've put in place, I guess, to seem like you're all together and this is like one of the biggest, uh, I would say potentially dangerous, the most dangerous things you could come across in the wellness, healthcare, helping, healing professions is someone who truly, truly believes that you have to have all your own shit together in order to help people. I, I would run from those people. <laughs> Like, honestly, we're all a work in progress. And often, just as you think you've conquered something, something else will come back up. I think that's potentially the, I don't know, existential thing of being on this earth is that there is always going to be some sort of trauma to navigate. And then you navigate another one and then another one and another one. And I think if that is something that you are still struggling to do, which hey, is actually all of us, one of the best things you can do is surround yourself by people who are doing it, who are deliberately making themselves feel uncomfortable so that they can grow and learn and find riches in the ditches, find the gold nuggets that are in the parts of yourself that you are avoiding, that you don't want anyone to know about, that is your deep, dark, secret shame stuff. Find someone else who is doing it. Watch them. Let your brain and your mirror neurons realize that they didn't die while doing it. Because I guess it always comes back to that. Well, did you die? No. 
might have been super uncomfortable, but you didn't die. And go back to that. And I think, yeah, modelling in terms of that. Watching someone else and seeing how they do it. Particularly if there's someone who... I know Angel gets a lot of people who... Mm, I hate the word trigger, but we use it anyway. Triggers a lot of people. So people come, sneak on her page, get pissed off, get like, you know, <laughs> reactive to some of the things that she says and does. And that's not the same as saying like agreeing with everything. Like you don't, like you want people in your life that you're like, oh fuck, I don't agree with that. But you know, challenge you in some way to think about things. And then, you know, disappear and then come back. And I know she gets lots of messages from people saying, oh, well, I kind of left your page for a while and now I'm back. And it's that intriguing thing of like, hmm, if someone is triggering you, you're reacting towards someone. Well, there's a message in that. And you maybe don't know what it is yet. But it's, you know, that thing around also um, when you find yourself reacting to someone else, whether it's in what they're saying or what they're doing or how they're behaving, sometimes there is a hint in that in terms of that's something about yourself that you don't want to look at. It's the version of looking at yourself in the mirror or your subconscious looking at yourself in the mirror and going, oh, I don't want to look at that. So you think someone's like outspoken and talks too much or you think they, you know, are showing up and seeming like they're an expert when they're not an expert or, you know, they're opinionated about something. Um, yeah, and if it's the, if it's that kind of stuff, the important thing I suppose to remember is that, okay, can you look back at your life and say it's flawless? Have you never been in a position where you've had a public conversation and you maybe haven't got all the absolute facts complete and t's crossed and i's dotted and all that kind of stuff and that to speak out without waiting for perfection waiting to get everything lined up is actually really really brave and it means taking arrows um which is another thing like i'm still in i'm still in that lesson i'm still the like mm, i kind of you know don't don't want to feel any discomfort <laughs> particularly on social media um you know, if you are someone who's going to be a trailblazer and be a thought leader, you're going to take some arrows because part of that is these are the people who are willing to say the things that other people wish they could say but are too chicken shit to say. And so they get loads and loads and loads of arrows. But in doing that as well, as, as Angel teaches in all of her visibility for visionaries training and her other offerings, that's how you find your people. <laughs> like... You know, every time you talk about something that's controversial and you get all sorts of people saying, oh, I don't agree and that's offensive and whatever, you're also going to find people who say, oh, yeah, thank fuck she said that. That's what I've been thinking. So I think that's the thing that we can take away. Um, so much from that is that do you, do you want to be, hmm, do you want to be just a birth worker? And there's absolutely nothing wrong with being just a birth worker. I don't say just to minimize it, but I say, do you want to be a birth worker? Or do you want to be a thought leader and a changer of action, well, actionable change? Do you want to be someone who's a thought leader and makes actionable change? Or do you want to be a birth worker? Because you can do one or the other. And I think Angel's someone who has moved, like catapulted into that next bit. It's like, yeah, doula, but the next bit is change maker shit stirrer <laughs> and do you want to do that because if you want to do that it means giving up a lot it really does mean giving up a lot and I know that she has given up more than I could possibly imagine to step into that space I think it would have been really easy for Angel to stay a doula she's a bloody good doula best doula like you could find she was the perfect doula for me and she could have lived a relatively comfortable life doing that for for ages. Um, but, um, you know, the systems and feeling stifled and being an Aquarian, I understand all of that. So I think, yeah, having acknowledgement that she is someone who, yeah, she's a thought leader. Not a birth worker, a thought leader. And I am so humbled and so grateful 
that she agreed to talk to me again in the mean yeah we have um some amazing chats <laughs> every now and then they're not as regular as I'd like but that's okay but how many of us get to do that you know I think I've said before birth is a space where you bond with people and if you have a care provider who makes you feel cared for cherished honored often what happens is you go back home they go back to work and you never see them again and I know it happens with therapy too in any relationship where you you've formed a bond with someone you've connected with them and the professional and whatever boundaries life boundaries are such that you don't see them again and so I think for me um I was one of the best parts of having a doula is because there's someone who has been with you through like the most transformative time of your life and you get to still see them how cool is that you get to still pop in and see what they're doing and have a chat and you know they get to see how your babies are growing and you get to see how they're growing and it's just a it's just a bucket of growth <laughs> with Ange. Um, that's how I'll sum that up. So that is it. That is the top 10 most downloaded episodes. Take time to move today's conversation through your body. Get up, go for a walk, have a shower, dance in the kitchen, do something to shift any tension that might have come up. My Birth Trauma Training for Birth Workers course is a great place to start for further training in birth trauma. It's equal parts personal and professional development. You can enrol at any time and it's endorsed by the Australian College of Midwives for 16 points. The link is in the show notes and you can also head to drerin.com.au. Now, hope is a doing word. My hope is that warm, empathic, intuitive workers will stay in birth, but we need to do something. Take a big step and work on some of the fears that you have. To stay in the helping and healing professions, you do need your own help. No one can self-improve in isolation. And there's no perfect time. You'll never be ready, but do it anyway. If you want to coach with me using the burn bright without burning out method that I've used with my own exhaustion, imposter fears and feeling overwhelmed, then let me help you. Let me help you to actually live a life so full of joy that you don't need to find escape from it. Reach out to me, drerin.com.au or at drerinbow on Instagram. Thank you for making time for yourself to feel uncomfortable and grow and learn. It's beautiful. I thank you so much for allowing me to speak my passions and do my soul work. <laughs>